Welcome to the Nourish, Eat, Repeat podcast, helping people who want to improve their health and change their mindset around food so they can live the life they were designed and called for. I am your host, Adrian Delgado, and in this podcast, I'll give you step-by-step action plans to reach your health goals, as well as my favorite recipes I know you and your family will enjoy. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Nourish, Eat, Repeat. Today we have a very special guest and I'm so excited for you to meet her because I know we're going to have a lot of fun today. Esther Avant is a health industry veteran with over 17 years of experience in fitness, nutrition, and wellness-related roles. She is a certified sports nutritionist, personal trainer, wellness coach, and owner of EA Coaching, which has provided full-spectrum health and lifestyle coaching since 2015. Esther's mission is to help women be healthy, happy, confident, and get the most out of their lives. She knows that if more women prioritize their health, they'd be able to unleash their confidence and focus focus their all need to leave their mark on the world. Esther is also a boy mom and Navy wife who has lived and traveled all over the world while running her EA coaching. Esther, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Yes. And thank you for your service. I mean... Your your role is not for the weary. Well, thank you. So Esther, tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got to get into this line of work. Yeah, so I sort of fell into working out at the local Y, YMCA, when I was in high school and really liked how it made me feel, how it changed my body. It was at a really... I guess, kind of pivotal time when I was starting to think about colleges and picking a major and things like that. Long story short, ended up majoring in exercise science, becoming a personal trainer in college. And my career has just kind of evolved ever since over the last uh, almost 18 years. So I was personal training in a big commercial gym and had a lot of female clients who had weight loss goals and, you know, were paying a lot of money for, for personal training and just feeling really frustrated that they felt like they were spinning their wheels. You know, they weren't losing weight. And I was feeling frustrated that I only see you an hour a week. I have no idea what else you're doing the rest of the time. Um, and actually was bartending on nights and weekends and would occasionally see clients coming in and drinking a ton and eating a ton. And that sort of turned on the the light bulb of like, you know what? You should probably be able to talk more nutrition with clients and that's not really within the scope of practice of a personal trainer. So I started pursuing nutrition certifications and internships to kind of round me out there. And then even having sort of that, that dual background, I still felt like there was this disconnect between taking the science and and the textbook stuff and actually applying it to, to myself and then to clients that there's sort of very much the what to do. And then there's the actually doing it. So that led me down the psychology behavior change sort of realm to really understand how and why do we decide to make changes and what sort of determines whether or not they last and how can I help myself and all of my different clients from different walks of life be more successful, not temporarily, but really long-term making these, these real kind of long-term identity shifts to reach their goals and then feel confident they could stay there. And what I found is that it really kind of boils down to three things. First one being simplicity. 
we have a term we call big rocks, which is essentially like the handful of key behaviors that generate the majority of your results. And I find that when we distill it down to just those, exercise, nutrition feel a lot less overwhelming because instead of trying to do everything that's like coming at you from social media, you put on your blinders and you're like, okay, is it a big rock or not? And you devote more time and energy to the stuff that matters, which means you get better results with less stress, less overwhelm. I think the second really important piece is having support and not just, you know, a coach necessarily or a mentor, but a a variety of support community from, from your peers, from, you know, family support professionals to help you really just through the ups and downs that are inevitable. And then I think the third piece that's so important is a term I call compassionate ownership, which is getting out of the headspace where you feel like you need to be perfect and that you're failing if you're not, but you also don't accept excuses from yourself and you aren't trying to play a victim. You're not trying to blame other people. You recognize it's my responsibility to change my life, my health, my body in the ways that I want. And I can do that. And I'll be more successful if I do it from a place of love and acceptance and compassion. So that's uh, sort of my, my background in a nutshell. Yeah. And that framework. So I have so many questions <laughs> based off of that. Um, but I really, I really can resonate with that compassionate ownership part um, just because, you know, I think as kids, we can't wait to be adults and make our own decisions. And so we're like, yes, freedom. I can do what I want, eat what I want, move how I want. Nobody's telling me what to do. And then there's the other side of the coin where it's like, oh no, nobody's telling me what to do. Nobody's looking over my shoulder to make sure I'm actually doing this. It is totally up to me to follow through. Now what? I don't even know how to do this. Exactly. And I think we end up in sort of this worst of both worlds where we're super hard on ourselves and our self-talk is really negative. And also we're very good at making excuses and justifying our lack of change. And it's like, we have kind of the two extremes and we need to figure out how to meet ourselves in the middle and recognize that like, those are kind of two ends of the, of, of the same spectrum. And at you always need kind of a mix of the two, but at certain times you need more of one than the other. So it's sort of developing the skill of recognizing, you know what, I'm having a hard time right now because I'm expecting too much of myself and kind of dialing up the compassion. And also recognizing when you are settling for less than what, you know, less than, than what you're capable of and turning up the ownership of, okay, you know what, that's enough excuses. I'm better than this. I'm made for more than this and, and learning how to hold yourself accountable. Yeah. And learning that there is a gray area between the two and not a binary. It's either, it's either compassion or it's ownership. And those are the only two things that you can, you can exactly. only two places you can find yourself. Exactly. And I feel like, like a lot of things on the internet, it can be really polarizing, you know, depending on, you know, kind of your algorithms, you may be seeing like the very militant, hardcore, like everything is your responsibility. And it's like this really intense um, sort of message that I think a lot of women think they need, but then end up using against themselves. Or you may be sort of getting offered the very kind of extreme woo-woo of, you know, you shouldn't ever want to change anything. You just need to accept everything as it is. And, and to 
like you said, kind of recognize the, the middle in there, which is that you can have acceptance for yourself, your body, who you are in the here and now, and also take responsibility for wanting to change yourself for the better. The two are not mutually ex- exclusive. Yeah. Or I think of Biggest Loser, right? Did you want Jillian to be your trainer or did you want Bob? Because although I felt like Bob was probably more in the compassionate um, ownership part than, and Jillian was more the militant, like, you should be throwing up, like you're not working hard enough. And, and we think we want that because we need somebody, we need that parent, but then we're also pushing against it because that's also what we don't want. We want exactly. that freedom. Because how do you react to your parents? You rebel. Whatever they tell you to do, you don't want to do. So we end up, yeah, in that really kind of confusing place where it's like, okay, just tell me what to do. I've had so many clients on, on mm. um, you know, consult calls who will say, I just need somebody to tell me what to do and I'll do it. I'm a rule follower. I, and, you know, I need somebody to, to kind of treat me like a drill sergeant. I'm like, that's what you think you need. But when that happens, that's when the inner rebel starts piping up. And that's when you start coming up with kind of all these, these justifications of like, well, I can't do that exercise because it hurts this. And I can't eat that meal plan because I couldn't find this. And then this thing happened. And it's like, you, you do need to sort of see the pattern and realize, well, if that's what I've done before, and I keep finding myself back where I started, it's not working. Something needs to be different. And maybe it's not getting more and more intense each time. Maybe it's going the other way and seeing like, okay, how do I meet myself where I am? How do I give myself that compassion that I would give to any other person? It's not like you're not capable of being compassionate. It's that you're not used to doing it for yourself. So figuring out what would it look like for me to be a little less intense and have this longer term focus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another example I can think of is clients that are like, just tell me what to eat. Right. I think you probably hear that as well. Like, just tell me what to eat and I'll eat it. And you're like, I mean, and I say this with as much compassion and grace as possible, but in my head, I'm like, no, you won't. (laughs) Right. Because I know that life is busy. And when it's chaotic, your first instinct isn't going to be, let me pull out this complicated meal plan that I've never looked at before and go to the grocery store on top of all the things I have to do and find these random ingredients and put them together in a meal. You're not going to do it. You're going to go to Wawa and you're going to go get a sandwich because that feels easy in the moment. So, Or on the flip side, a very basic meal plan. That's like, okay, you don't need to go to a special grocery store. You don't need to do, you know, very minimal prep. It's just, you know, very basic, your protein, your carb, your fat, that sort of thing. But then that's boring or bland, or I don't want to eat the same stuff all the time. And it's like that those, sometimes I think about the the show um, House Hunters, where you have these couples that have all of this criteria. And it's like, the realtors always end up telling them like, you can't get all of this. So you need to prioritize. It's like, you can't get, you know, at your price point with the number of bedrooms close to the beach with a short commute, you that like that doesn't exist. And I feel like sometimes we do that to ourselves with our exercise or with our food. It's like, well, it needs to be really fast and easy. It needs to fit my, you know, my, my calorie needs. It also can't be boring or bland. I need, and it's like, well, <laughs> a lot of those things, like you have this, you have all these circles and they just don't all overlap. There is not a Venn diagram that includes all of them. So you need to figure out what is most important to me right now. If I truly want it to be this, like, I don't want to think about food type thing, then you're probably gonna have to give a little on the variety 
to allow that to happen. If variety and you know, eating something fresh, not something that you made a few days ago is important to you. Well, that's going to take more time and energy. So it's always kind of figuring out that, that give and take of what's important to you right now. And it doesn't need to be, you're not committing to this forever, but, um, but to decide I, I have to start, if it's important to me to make a change, I have to start somewhere. So where is that somewhere going to be? Yeah. You're reminding me of a client I had one time who, who t- walked in and she said, I only want to eat whole foods from the ground, but I need it to take less than 10 minutes to prepare. <laughs> I was like, wow. Yeah, I was like, listen, it takes me 10 minutes to cut an onion. So it might, you got to give me a little, give me 12. If you can give me 12 minutes, I can, I maybe can meet you in the middle. Um, but you're right. It was basically, I love that analogy to house hunters. And, you know, just even, you know, when you're talking to, or maybe if you're listening to this podcast, and, you know, sitting down and writing out what are your expectations and is this a unicorn or do I need to prioritize um, because, you know, that's maybe why, maybe why you're stuck and why you're you're still seeking out that perfect plan because your expectations are they're just they're they're unreasonable or unrealistic at this time. But maybe with a couple compromises, we can get somewhere. Exactly. And I think that that's a great point. It's like at this time, and that's based on, you know, your bandwidth, your time, your energy, and your skills. So it may be that in six months or in a year, you are able to check all those boxes. But if you're waiting to start because you can't check them all right now, that's what's keeping you stuck. So figure out like, all right, if I'm right now, I'm checking zero boxes. I want to be checking five. How do I get myself to check those first couple? And then from there, as you experiment and learn and develop your skill set, it's going to be that much easier to figure out what works for you. So figuring out, okay, I do have like my go-to, something that works for what I do and what works for a ton of our clients is you develop sort of your your small arsenal of go-to breakfasts, lunches that you do sort of have on repeat, maybe two, three that that you rotate through. And then dinners are when you get your variety. It's when you're eating with a family, you're sitting down. It's more of like an intentional experience. So that's an example of sort of getting the best of both worlds, but you're not going to get there right away. So figure out like, what's the one meal that I'm going to start with? And then as that starts to feel more automatic and is taking less of your energy, then you can take the next step. Um, and, and eventually, yeah, you could well be checking all the boxes, but probably not from the jump. Yeah, no, I like that. So Esther, you mentioned something in the beginning, um, this concept of big rocks. So I'd love for you to explain, you know, what does, dive more into what does that mean and how do we identify what big rocks are? Or do you just give us the list? Tell me the list. What is it? Just tell me what to do. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, I will give you a list um, because <laughs> there are sort of the, the general buckets that if most people do consistently will yield general health and and happiness and, and probably some weight loss. Um, the idea comes from, you've probably kind of seen this visual of if you have an empty jar and you start filling it with sand and little pebbles, it takes a ton of sand and pebbles to fill it. And, um, and it takes time. And then if you tried to put something big in there, you can't because now it's full of the little stuff. But if you have an empty jar, you can very quickly and easily fill it with bigger rocks. And then if you want, you can still fit in some pebbles and sand around those rocks, but your jar is already full. So you probably don't really need to. 
So it's taking that sort of philosophy and applying it to exercise and nutrition, where most people feel so overwhelmed because they are trying to lose weight by chipping away at it with pebbles and sand. They're stressing about, you know, how many minutes has it been since I worked out? Am I still in the, you know, the anabolic window to, to drink my protein shake? Or is that going to ruin my results? Uh, should I be taking BCAAs? How long should I fast? Um, what if I have to work out in the morning and I'm fasting? Is that going to ruin everything? Um, like just kind of you're, you're majoring in the minors and you have so much that you're trying to do that it feels exhausting. And you're so anxious that if you don't do one of those things, it's all going to fall apart that you end up just, you know, either having all these starts and stops or just feeling too overwhelmed to even start in the first place. So when you identify the big rocks and you focus on those, you're not dividing your time across a hundred things anymore. You have six things that I'll tell you in a second. Um, and when you're only focusing on those things, it's much easier to master them and figure out how do I make these feel normal and habitual and like just what I do so they don't take a ton of my time and energy. And because that handful of behaviors generates most of the results, you'll probably find that you don't need to do more than that. If once you've kind of squared them away, you want to experiment with things like meal timing or intermittent fasting or any of that kind of smaller stuff, you can, there's no harm, you know, no, no harm in experimenting, but you won't feel like you need to. So there's three exercise, three nutri nutrition. On the exercise front, number one, your daily movement. We use steps just kind of as a proxy goal for developing an overall active lifestyle, taking the stairs, walking when you can, that sort of thing. Um, that's number one, because your general lifestyle has a much bigger impact on your daily calorie needs and things like that than anything else. So that's number one. Number two is strength training. This should really be the priority for pretty much all of us. And I'd say for a lot of women, it's more of an afterthought of like, oh yeah, I see that I should be lifting weights. So I'll do, you know, 10 minutes of arms after I do a Peloton ride or something like that. Flipping that on its head, prioritizing your strength first, getting in three full body workouts a week is a great place to be shooting for. Um, and letting that sort of be the, the middle of your pyramid. You've got your, your daily movement, your steps, and then you've got your strength training. Then you have your rest and recovery, which always surprises people that I'm, I'm talking about rest next. And it's because I think a lot of us are prone to overdoing it and essentially running ourselves into the ground with doing a lot of cardio, trying to burn X number of calories on the treadmill and not giving ourselves enough time to recover from those things, which means we're never really maximizing the benefits of them. The recovery is when we come back stronger. So if you're never recovering, you're never you know, really seeing the fruits of your labor. Then once you have built in rest, that's when you can add in more of like the pebble type stuff of your, your running, your cycling, Pilates bar, really anything else that you enjoy. Um, that's not one of the things that I just talked about. So by doing that, by building in your rest first, you're making sure that you're not going to do too much or push too hard or prevent yourself from recovering. And then you can still work in the stuff that you enjoy. So those are your exercise, big rocks. And then for nutrition, whether or not you want to hear it, your total caloric intake matters. And that's not just for losing weight. It's if you want to maintain your weight, 
your calories matter. If you want to lose weight, if you want to gain weight, it all, it matters. Um, and it doesn't mean that you need to be obsessed about them or you need to meticulously track them for the rest of your life, but having an awareness of what's like roughly my, my body's calorie needs based on my lifestyle and my goals. If you don't have a general idea of that, it would, it would behoove you to get one. Um, if you're, if you're not familiar, if you're not able to sort of look at foods and say, I can estimate how many calories I'm getting from these foods, that's a good place to start. The other two big rocks are your protein intake and your fiber intake, both of which are going to help with satiety, help ensure that you're eating just an overall nutritious diet that's not just focused on losing weight, but also optimizing your health. Um, and then the protein helps with building and retaining muscle. And ultimately, I think one of the best ways to learn about those three things is to spend some time tracking your food. I think of it very much like a financial budget where, sure, we all like maybe sort of vaguely know somebody who is so financially wealthy that they don't ever need to look at prices of anything. They can just spend and they don't think twice about it. But most of us, when we go to the store or we're looking online, we look at how much stuff costs. Is this, does it seem like a lot compared to like how much I have, that sort of thing. So documenting what you eat is this is a way to do that. It's a way to learn if I have an 1800 calorie budget, how do I want to spend that budget? And if you aren't able to look at foods and say, oh, okay, that's a good source of protein. This is what, you know, 30 grams would look like. Then developing those skills is going to help you be a healthy person who maintains a healthy weight for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I heard a really good analogy the other day of, you know, this awareness piece of, of your intake, um, being equated to driving a car. So when you first learn to drive, let's say, well, even if you don't, not first learning to drive, let's say there's no speed limit signs. All right. So when you're driving a car, you're just kind of driving based off of what you think is a good idea. Like, oh, there's a curve ahead. I probably should slow down or I'm going to run off the road. Or here's open open road, straight. I probably can accelerate. Um, but you're just kind of feeling it out, doing what you've always done based off of just a little bit of experience. But if all of a sudden now you have speed limit signs, <laughs> you know, now you can check yourself. Am I really going 35 or am I going too fast or am I going too slow? Um, the speed limit signs are just kind of a way for you to check in with yourself and see how close or how far away are you from the recommended speed. Um, now, but as you become a more seasoned driver, right, you don't need to always be looking at the speedometer every time you drive because you start to get a general idea of what 35 feels like in your car and what 65 feels like. But, you know, in the beginning, those those speed signs and looking at your speedometer and looking at the, the signs and the, what's recommended can be really helpful to know, am I really driving this way or am I just, am I really off the mark? Maybe that was a terrible example, but. No, no, absolutely. It's, there's just, as much as we think we're, we're self-aware, there are often big differences between what we think we're doing and what we're actually doing. And it's really helpful to have that, um, quantitative metric to just like fact check ourselves. <laughs> like, okay. Like another example, most of the women that I talk to say some variation of, well, you're pretty healthy most of the time. And it's like, okay, but 
what does that mean? What is pretty healthy? What what foods specifically are you eating and how much of them? And what is most of the time? Because we tend to focus on, you know, the the intentional meals that we're sitting down to with our family and that we have the protein and the veggies and things like that. And we just overlook like the, the mindless stuff. So it's it's really just a way to dial in where how does what I think compare to reality? And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to change anything. It just gives you the opportunity to, because now you have that awareness and you get to be more intentional about, okay, here's what I've been doing. And this is the result I've been getting. If I'm okay with that, great. Keep on keeping on. If I'm not, now I have an idea of where to start. That's going to help me get a different result. Right. Well, and I also think some people's aversion to journaling is like, cause it's, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. And I was like, you don't have to, right? We're just trying to gather a little bit of data so we know how to move forward. But eventually you kind of get your rhythm in in check. Um, I know for me personally, and I tell my clients this all the time, I tend to journal my food twice a year for two weeks in the summer and two weeks in the winter, just because I know that my eyes get generous over time. What I think is where I'm at you know, may not be where I'm at or I might be spot on. I'm like, great, still doing all right. And then I don't even think about it uh, for the next five and a half months. But, you know, I don't think it's a bad idea to check in with yourself from time to time to make sure that, you know, you're where you want to be. I I just don't know if it has to be a process that you have to do all the time, every day, because then there's burnout. <laughs> right. Actually, I love that idea. It's very similar. Like my husband and I have an, an annual and it would make sense to do like a, a semi-annual financial meeting where we, you know, kind mm-hmm. of our goals and it makes sense to then kind of at the midpoint check in are we are progressing the way we need to yeah you just want to like keep your keep your hand on the pulse so that things don't get too far away from you and I think you're right part of the part of the reluctance is that you do hear so much about like make sure that what you're doing is sustainable and if you're if you wouldn't do it for the rest of your life then it's not the approach for you and like that's true in a general sense but we're talking about using tools that serve a purpose. So if you think about, I'm trying to hang pictures in my house, I'm going to use a hammer. And then when the pictures are hung, I'm not going to just like walk around with a hammer in my hand forever, just in case. I'm going to put it back. And if I need to hang something again in the future, I know where to find it. It's the same thing is you're you're developing a variety of skills, one of which is, and, and, and using tools to to do so, one of which is, food tracking and the documentation. Um, but then once you've gotten what you need out of it for now, then you can just focus on those on those things because the act of tracking isn't what gets the results. It's the changes you make because of it. So once those are on your radar, then it's like, okay, let me hone in on not making the snacks in my house so readily available. I don't need to keep tracking to recognize I keep eating 800 calories after dinner. I just need to make it harder to do that and then break that habit and then you know carry on. Um, and there was something else that you mentioned about tracking that I wanted to touch on, but I think has, uh, oh, the other, the other piece of it, I think is that part of why people find themselves feeling like they're tracking indefinitely and that it's become like this burnout kind of chore monotonous thing it is because they never really go into it with the, the mindset of this is a tool that I'm going to use to serve a purpose and it has value for me. Whereas like when you're doing your two weeks of tracking, 
it's a very intentional thing. I want to do this to check in with myself. So I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And because you do it so well and thoroughly and accurately, you can do it and learn what you need to and be done. Where a lot of people find that it's dragging on is they never really make that full commitment. So it's like, yeah, technically I'll like, you know, I'll, I'll find an entry that like kind of matches what I'm eating and I'll estimate like how much I think I had or like, oh, I forgot to do it yesterday. I'll do, do what I remember. And it's sort of this like half-assed, like more of like, I'm just doing it because you told me to type thing instead of this is going to be useful for me. So my advice, if you've resisted it, is to give yourself that sort of shorter term goal of I'm doing this for two weeks or even a week or even you know three days or like whatever you can commit to a single day. I did, I checked in with myself and did a single day of tracking. That was very eye-opening. So you can, you can get something out of it, even in the very short term. Um, but if that's what you've resisted before is like, oh, I did it and like, it didn't work or I didn't get anything out of it. It's like, well, let's look at how you were doing it and what you can do differently this time so that it, it is beneficial for you. Well, and to that point, you know, the, if the point is to gather data and information from it, how many people journaling actually go back and look at it? It's almost like it's more of a checklist item than it is an information gathering item. Like, well, did you go back and look at what you did the other day when you hit those protein goals? Oh, no. Like, yeah, because let's go look and see what were some of the things you did that actually got you to where you wanted to be? Maybe we should do them again. Maybe we should put priority to them and incorporate them more often. Where most people, they're just, they think the act of journaling is, is, is it, period. And, and it's, like you said, it's a tool to move forward. That is an excellent point. Yes, I think that's the number one thing that most people overlook is it's not a do it and move on type thing. It's let me reflect on this data and see what I can learn. If, if things went well today, why? What foods helped me do that so that I can do more of them? And if I, you know, found myself way over or way under, well, what led to that? The effort you put into reflecting and learning is what's going to help you make the, the changes that you need faster. Yeah. So Esther, why do you think it is that we get so caught up in the little things? Like, why do we, why do we gravitate towards the pebbles in the sand and not these big overarching things that actually make a difference? Oh, that's a good question. I think there's a few components. I think one is the stimuli that we receive on a daily basis, just that we're getting like, you know, thousands and thousands of inputs. If you like literally anywhere you look from social media to regular media, just out in the world, you're overhearing people talk. There's so much noise and there are so many people who are kind of grasping at straws and are doing something that they saw somewhere. And you get kind of this game of telephone and it's like, well, I don't know why I'm doing it, but I heard this lady on the bus say that she was doing it. So like, and you know, worth a shot. Right. Um, so I think that's part of it is just that there's so much noise. And if you don't have a background in this, it's hard to know what's noise and what's not. I was, I'm in the, the process of publishing a book and it's been really interesting for me to be you know, a, a novice at something and to not know what I don't know. So, you know, somebody who is familiar with the publishing industry can probably say very easily, oh, you don't need to worry about this. Focus on that. That's what's important. I don't know. I can't tell the difference. I don't have any context for this stuff. So for a lot of us, you know, we don't receive nutrition classes in school. We aren't really well educated on strength training or exercise or things like that. 
So most people have a hard time differentiating between what matters and what doesn't. And because of that, it's very easy to get caught up in, well, this person has the, you know, my dream body and this is what they're saying they did. So I should do that. I think that's a big part of it. Um, I think also we have sort of this belief that losing weight or being healthy has to feel overwhelming and complicated and like a sacrifice. And I think we've, you know, again, picked up on that through the, just the course of our lives, seeing our our parents and our um, aunts and, and things like that. And just kind of the general message is that like, you know, kind of that, that no pain, no gain, nothing worth having is, you know, comes easy and, and stuff like that. We, based on our past experience, feel like if I'm not struggling and sacrificing and feeling like this is really hard, then I must not be doing enough. And if I'm not doing everything, then it's not going to work. Um, so I think those two things kind of combine to, I've had so many clients who, when we start to focus on the big rocks are kind of like, well, what else? Like, what should I be adding? Like nothing. You should settle in to this not feeling hard because you don't want to be living an entire lifetime of it feeling hard to be healthy. You want it to start to feel boring and easy and natural. And I think it's kind of breaking those barriers that um, that makes it so hard to to just let it be simple. Yeah. Oh yeah. I always tell my clients too, like you, if you're asking the question like, well, this isn't enough, or you're, if you have that thought in your head, this isn't enough and I need to be adding something else, then you're probably in a good spot. <laughs> exactly right like and that feels very uncomfortable because again like you said we're just so used to push harder push more more complicated will be better right so and you said one of your core um i don't know if you want to say core values or things that you teach is simplicity right so mm -hmm. what are some of the strategies that you you suggest in terms of getting out of our own way and so you know you just gave a couple examples of what why we think we need to go bigger. Like, how do we get out of those mindset thoughts or how do we, how do we, how do we start moving forward when it's no longer a knowledge deficit? Like we are, we know what to do, but we're just, we're getting stuck and hung up in this, this area. How do we push through? Yeah. I think that's the, the real meat and potatoes of making a lifestyle change is not the what to do, the why you're not doing it consistently. And when that happens, we tend to kind of do one of a couple of things. One, we blame ourselves and we think, this is what I always do. I'm just not disciplined enough. I don't have enough motivation. I am lazy. And we, we blame like, you know, our unworthiness for, for why we're not being successful and, and, or we start looking for something else. Oh, it just, it must be that I actually did need that meal plan after all, or it must be that I do need, you know, a, a 75 hard to get me started and then I'll find something more moderate. So I think we, when we struggle, we kind of go off in those wrong directions instead of just kind of sitting with what's actually going on here. How do I get beneath the surface? How do I stop blaming like my lack of discipline? How do I stop trying to jump ship and find something else? How do I really address the root of what's going on here? And we're not used to doing that. We're not used to introspecting or really sitting down with our thoughts and 
figuring out what they even are. More often than not, say you're you're regularly saying you're gonna wake up early in the morning and work out and then you keep hitting snooze and you're saying, I'm just not a morning person or I'm just lazy, I'm not motivated. Instead, you really dug into, all right, well, like what specifically is happening in the mornings? My alarm goes off, I immediately hit snooze. I don't even recognize that I was supposed to wake up. And next thing you know, it's two hours later. So maybe your first, the first thing you try is what if I set my alarm somewhere out of reach so that I had to get out of bed in order to turn it off? And then once I did, I splashed some cold water on my face and now I'm up. Maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe it's just like a logistical thing that you haven't done like that small tweak that would take care of it. Can I just interrupt you for a second here? Because, uh-huh. you know, and somebody who does enjoy working out in the morning, but I have noticed that ever since my kids got us a Google Nest, and we have put our alarm on the Google Nest, I have been pushing snooze. And I have never been a snooze person because we have always had a physical alarm clock that we set across the room. So when it would go off, we would physically have to get out of bed to turn it off, which was near the light switch, which if I'm already by the light switch, I might as well turn it on and go to the bathroom and and go to the bath, you know, and turn lights on and And then I would wake up. But now that we have this Google Nest and it's like, hey, Google, set my alarm for 6.15 tomorrow. And then it's just so easy to say, hey, Google, snooze for five minutes. And it's so interesting. I'm noticing I'm like, oh, this is actually not a good thing. And I need to get rid of this um, because it's actually putting me, it's not creating that friction point that was was helping and it's making it too easy to stay in bed. So just to put a tangible example to this, like what does your alarm clock look like? You know, is it on your phone charging by your bed or, you know, do we need to pull out the 1970 alarm clocks again? Right. (laughs) Position them. Exactly. Sometimes it really is that simple and just doing those small things is, is going to solve. And you're like, Oh, actually it was not laziness. It was just like, my environment was not conducive to this thing I want to do. Easy fix. Um, same thing, like if you find yourself mindlessly snacking and you're like, you know what? What if I put all those snacks on the very top shelf and they're no longer front and center when I open the pantry? And A, they're not on the radar, so I forget they're there. Or B, I have to drag a stool over to get them. And now I have that friction point of, oh, I'm coming to, hey, I'm about to do this thing that I said I didn't want to do. You have a, you have an opportunity to stop. So there could be just like some logistical environmental tweaks we can make. Maybe you do that. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know all those things. I, I, now I get up and I hit snooze and I get back in bed. Okay. So let's figure out why. Is it that you are physically exhausted when that alarm goes off because you are not getting enough rest? If so, instead of trying to force yourself to be a morning person, let's address your sleep habits first. Maybe it's that you wake up and have these really negative thoughts immediately spinning through your head of, I never have any energy in the morning. My workout's going to suck. Or my kids are probably going to wake up and interrupt me anyway. So why bother? Or maybe I've been waking up most mornings for the last month and nothing has changed. So if that's the case, I might as well sleep in. Start getting beneath the surface and figure out what is actually the issue. And if it's that sort of mental self-talk type stuff, 
then it's a matter of working on that. You can train your brain just like you can train your body. It's just a matter of first, again, becoming aware of what you're doing or saying and how it's helping or hindering you and then working on making changes from there. So I think to, to answer your, your question directly, what you can do to get out of that, I know what to do, I'm just not doing it, is get really honest with yourself and don't accept those surface level answers of I'm just lazy or things like that. Actually pinpoint, why am I not doing these things? And once I have that laundry list of all the things, start solving for them. There is a solution to every problem. You just need to be willing to look for it. And the more time you spend kind of dwelling on the problems, the less time you find, less time you have to find the solutions. Yeah. And I'll also add to that. You may not pick the right solution the first time, (laughs) right? You know, you, you may not guess correctly and that is okay. That doesn't mean it will never work. It just means you haven't found that right solution just yet, but let's try something different. I like to give my clients lots of options. We can try A, B, C, D. We may even need to to try E, but let's try some of these and just see which, get curious, which one may work for you versus, well, A didn't work. So therefore this won't happen. That's a great point. Yes. You, you need to be committed to finding that solution and it might take time and effort. And it's it's very easy to kind of throw up your hands and be like, nope, I tried, I've done everything. And you have to remind yourself like, this goal is important to me. I'm the one who who wants this thing. So I have to be invested in figuring things out for myself. And it's not always gonna be easy. It's not always gonna be the first thing that I try, but I'm committed enough because I want that outcome that I will go through however many options it takes to figure out what works for me. And to also know that, like we were talking about earlier, you're not committing to a lifetime of that specific thing. What you're doing is teaching yourself how to be someone who is resourceful and flexible and committed to her goals. So if the solution that works for you right now eventually stops working, that's fine because you have developed the ability to say, all right, well, there are other solutions out there. Let me find another one. Instead of just being like, this is what always happens. I just get in the groove and everything's going well. And then something happens. And instead of just being like, all right, well, this is life. This is what happens. And I can figure this out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree with that. So Esther, one of the things that some of my clients struggle with is figuring out what is true and what is an excuse right? Like, cause when in the moment it all sounds really true and logical because it's your thought, right? So if you think it, it must be true. How can we identify excuses versus truth in the moment? I love that. Well, I think to, to further muddy the waters, things can be true and also be excuses. You might be tired, And also it doesn't mean that you can't do a workout or take a walk or something like that. So I don't think they're like flip sides of the same coin. Um, But I think what is ultimately the most helpful is to get in the habit of fact checking yourself. We, like you said, are, we've had some of these thoughts so often and so many times that we just take them at face value. This is just a true fact, like the, the leaves on that tree are green. And we don't 
think to question them. So being more curious and kind of playing devil's advocate and asking yourself like, well, what evidence do I have of that? What evidence do I have that something else could be true? And just starting to almost like treating yourself like a, a lawyer in a in a court case, trying to like pick apart that that argument. I'm trying to think of a, a good example. I'm I'm not a morning person. We'll go back to that one. Or I, I can't get out of bed in the morning. Well, whenever my kids need me, I jump right out of bed. Or when I have a flight to catch, I'm able to, to make my flight. You start to look for examples that what you're saying is like not an absolute. Because I think a lot of times, you know, we take a, a kernel of truth. Like maybe maybe I don't love waking up early. That's fine. That's That could be true. But it doesn't mean that you're incapable or that you couldn't learn to, to feel differently. So start just like looking for evidence that alternatives are possible. And then I think, you know, another, another piece of it is not only is it true, but is it nice or is it kind? Like, is this putting me in a good headspace to want to, to do a thing? And then is it helpful? Is this helping me take a step towards my goal or is it keeping me stuck? And when a, a thought doesn't sort of pass those litmus tests, you get to decide, is this a thought I want to continue having? Or do I want to work on replacing it with something else? And I know that sounds like a, a weird thing because it seems like thoughts just like pop into your head and they do. But once they do, you get to decide, is it going to like fester in there and become like a, a, a banner thought that I have over and over again? Or is it going to be one that I kind of like put on the conveyor belt that just like goes out the other side? Um, and then choosing, how do I want to think instead? Just something like, I'm not used to waking up in the mornings yet is a thought you could try on. That's true. You're not used to it yet. You could get used to it. So just sort of like testing the waters with different thoughts and then actually paying attention to how do those different thoughts create changes in the future. So when I think oh, I'm not a morning person, I can't get out of bed, what ends up happening? Well, usually it becomes self-fulfilling. If you tell yourself I'm practicing waking up in the mornings and it'll get easier with time, you're probably more inspired to actually get up some mornings and do it. And then you have more evidence that is possible and, and that sort of thing. So actually noticing the difference between like thought A and thought B and then like what the, the outcomes of them. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I, another thought I, I generally speak about in my practice is that, um, you know, with nutrition and exercise, we're really good, you know, with planning our meals. We're really good about planning our workouts. We're really terrible about planning how we're going to talk to ourselves in those hard moments. It's almost like we just think that, oh, well, once I want tomorrow, even though I've been struggling with getting out of bed every day for the past month, tomorrow I'll probably be like all inspired and I'll say something profound and I will listen, right? So like, I don't need to practice what I'm gonna say when I hear those thoughts because I'm sure I'll be able to make the right choice, right? That future version of ourself who is always doing the right thing and, you know, but we forget we're stuck with present self who has to deal with the stress and the fatigue and the exhaustion and the 103,000 choices that we're going to have to make that day. Right. Um, so I think we need to do a better job of practicing like, okay, this is what is, I'm going to tell myself when I hear my brain say what it's always said for the past 30 days. You're absolutely right. That's something I talk about with clients all the time is like the 
the disconnect between our present selves and our future selves and how we think like future self is going to be so pumped to wake up for this workout. She wants to eat nothing but, you know, salads. And we just have like this completely unrealistic view because in reality, your future self is going to feel pretty darn similar to your, yourself right now. And it's not allowing yourself to continue to play out that cycle where you're like, well, this time I'll just do it differently. And that's, you know, a, a big part of coaching is like sort of playing devil's advocate of like, all right, well, let's say when that future time comes, you feel like you did last week and you still don't want to do it. What's going to be different this time? And that usually kind of stops people with like, oh, well, I don't know. I don't want to think about that. I'll just do better. And you need to reach a point where you're like, okay, that's not working. So how do we get more specific? And one of the things that I credit with really helping me get out of some negative cycles with, with food um, and that I've encouraged a lot of clients to do as well is in this moment, when you are kind of making those plans for your future self, write down what you want to say to yourself, because it's, you tell yourself now, oh, I'll remember. And then you don't. Um, so write it down while it's fresh in your mind, while you're feeling committed and motivated and while it's important to you, get those thoughts onto paper, even like write your, write yourself a voice memo, anticipating how you're going to feel then. So like, you know, Hey, Saturday, Esther, I know that the last thing you want to do right now is get this workout in, but this is Friday, Esther. And I just wanted to let you know that I'm feeling so excited. I'm so committed about committed to our goals. I'm really excited about what we're going to accomplish. And I want you to remember that this workout does matter. I know it seems like, oh, I can hit snooze. I'll do it later. But every choice does matter. And I'm in this, you know, whatever, whatever it may be, write those things down or say them so that when that moment comes and when your future self is like, nah, I don't want to, you've already got something that you can, you can read or listen to, to trigger the feelings that you want. I love that. Yeah. I can just imagine like, when did I write this? Like, yeah, who, who is, is this person? person? Yeah. I don't recognize it. Um, but you know, but it's true. Like at this, at one moment in time, this is how I felt. And just because I don't feel that way in this particular moment, doesn't mean that in a few hours I won't feel motivated again. So I got to trust this version of my, my, the Friday version of myself that I have my best interest at heart. I chose something that was going to ultimately be in my, you know, for my benefit. And so, you know, that can be the motivation you may need to move forward. Cause gosh, what I hear more than anything is, you know, I just need more willpower. I just need mo more motivation. Be your motivation. Yep. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, Esther, I love this conversation. I feel like we jumped around a lot, but we touched on so many important topics. Yeah. And, I um, I think, you know, I think the listeners are really going to enjoy this and, and be able to see themselves in some of these conversations, but also be like, huh, like, all right, I, I got some new tools in my belt and, and, and be able to move forward. So if you had to like, give us just, I'm not going to say new ideas, but just to like summarize, what are the top three things that we can focus on in order to move in the direction of health and, and achieving our goals? I think number one, meet yourself where you are. Like we were talking about earlier, you're, you're not going to check all the boxes right away. So just figure out where did I set the bar last week? And what's a little bit more than that? You're so much better off setting realistic goals that you're confident you can do. 
and building some momentum, getting some wins under your belt, and then wanting to do more than to set the bar too high, feel like you've fallen short and give up again. I would say number two, remember, write this down somewhere, that the goal is for it to feel pretty easy most of the time to be a healthy person. And that when you're starting to feel bored or like you need more or it's not hard enough, remind yourself that that's a sign of accomplishment, that this is what you've been working towards. This is what you want for it to not feel all consuming, for it to just be something that you do more on autopilot. That's a win. So instead of using it against yourself, pat yourself on the back because you it's a sign of progress. And I'd say number three is I know doing like the mental work that we've been talking about can feel weird or you might resist doing it. I know I did, but it really does make a difference. And I would encourage you to develop some sort of mindset or or thought-focused practice to help you train your mind just like you do your body. Yeah. It's funny when you say journal work, it's like a lot of people just want to go fetal. No, I'd rather do 25 push-ups than have to do this hard work. I was like, you cannot pay me enough to journal. And again, that, you know, something we were talking about earlier is kind of identifying the root issue. I had several clients who realized that they resisted journaling because they were fearful that like they would die and their family would read it. And Ah. that's like, that's so interesting and and legitimate. You don't necessarily want people reading your innermost thoughts. Like when, yeah. Um, So, okay. That doesn't mean you can't do it. Let's figure out what that looks like. Does it mean you rip it up or burn it after you write it. Does it, you know, they're just, again, to meet yourself where you are. And if you're resistant to that, okay, then don't start there. Just start with like the awareness of your thoughts. But it really does make a difference if you feel like you're kind of beating your head against the wall and keep doing the same things and getting the same result. Doing that mental work is going to help a ton. Yeah, I like that. Esther, where can we learn more about you and, and your work? Where can we follow you? I have a podcast called Live Diet Free. That's one of my favorite um, things to do. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all at Esther Avant. Um, and if this sort of like big rocks, simple approach um, that we've been talking about has resonated with you, I have a cheat sheet that breaks it all down for you. The What the big rocks are, kind of where to set the goal, how to start implementing them. Um, you can get that at estheravant.com slash cheat sheet. Excellent. I love it. So Esther, we always end our episodes with a recipe, maybe a, a go-to breakfast, snack, lunch, dinner, weeknight, quick meal idea, something that has really worked for you. Maybe one of those simple things, right? Not too complicated because we all want new recipes, but then when it comes down to it, just please don't let it be more than like <laughs> five ingredients, right? Yeah. Um, yes. Okay. So I am all about simple. I really like live this life. My husband is, has been gone now for several months and it's just me and a, a toddler. Um, so I'm not about making fancy meals. I'll tell you one that it's like, I feel weird even calling it a recipe because it's like really so simple. Um, I take a bag of cauliflower rice. I think it's green giant is the, the one that I use, but it doesn't matter. Um, I take a bag of steam fresh veggies. My favorite medley right now has sweet corn, carrots, asparagus, maybe something else, but again, choose whatever you like. Um, I microwave both of those. 
I defrost about eight ounces or half a pound of pre-cooked frozen shrimp. Um, and then I dump it all in the frying pan, add some teriyaki sauce and that's it. Uh, that makes two servings. So then I have it either. I can just reheat it the next night or I can have it for lunch the next day or something. Um, so takes under 15 minutes. Each, each bag to microwave takes about five minutes. Um, and then the, the shrimp defrost while you're doing that. And then just a couple minutes to kind of stir, stir in the sauce and, and make it more of a fried rice type situation. Um, and it's great. It's got tons of fiber, tons of volume, plenty of protein, and it's incredibly easy. Yeah. A shrimp veggie stir fry, right? <laughs> That's what it is. But you know what? I think it's actually really helpful because I know some of, of my clients and you probably hear the same thing sometimes. It's like, well, what do you make for dinner? And then I tell them how simple it is. They're like, oh, like, I mean, there's not to say that that was a disappointment because it was not, but to me, it's like, a, oh, you're a real person too. And this is how you get dinner on the table and still take care of your family and still get things accomplished versus we, because I think we're so inundated with social media and these gorgeous recipes, we have this false idea that any health professional all their recipes look like that and they don't. <laughs> yeah. I'd say the majority don't. And yes. yeah, it is, it is kind of a, a real awakening. Um, but yeah, I see so many people looking for recipes and I'm like, huh, basically once in a while I'll like make a recipe. But for the most part, I'm like, where can I get a protein? Where can I get a veggie? How can I do it fast? Um, and it's really just kind of that mix and match. So like, yeah, no need to put undue pressure on it looking a certain way, especially if you're feeding a family. Because going back to like unicorn stuff, Good luck finding a meal that like works for your weight loss goal, but your husband's weight gain goal and your picky toddlers and your, your other, you know, it like hardly exists. So mm -hmm. you're much better off, like just thinking in terms of like simple ingredients that you can pair in different ways so that, you know, I'll microwave some rice for my kid and he'll do shrimp on the side and I can like get him to eat a couple of pieces of broccoli. And instead of it being like, oh, well, this meal is ruined because he won't eat this or I'm eating, making a whole separate thing. It's like you just think about it differently and people can piece together the components that work for them. Right. In the portions that work for them. Right. So yeah. if somebody needs a little bit more carbs because they're an endurance athlete. Yeah. Here's more rice and somebody who's trying to get hit more protein. Here's more chicken or shrimp or whatever the, the lean protein is. But I could not agree more. Um, the more simple you, you keep this, the more likely you're going to continue doing it. So don't complicate dinner. <laughs> right, right. That's what it's all about is you need to be, you're going to be eating for the rest of your life. So find ways to make it easy on yourself so that it's not this like all consuming second job. Yeah. I love it. Esther, thank you so much for being here today. This is a great conversation. Yeah, this is a blast. Thank you. Awesome. All right, guys, that's what we have for you today. Thank you so much for joining in and listening. We'll be putting in all of Esther's information in the show notes so you can uh, follow her as well. And um, as always, we're just so appreciative of you supporting this podcast. Have a great week, everyone. Take care.